Well, that's what we love about you, Jane Fonda. You don't give up. No, she doesn't. <laughs> when, when I do, you don't know about it, so... <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. In the late 1970s, Jane Fonda saw Lily Tomlin perform in Appearing Nightly, her one-woman show on Broadway. Lily's performance so inspired Jane that she reworked the movie she was developing to create a part specifically for Lily. The movie would go on to become the 1980s classic, 9 to 5, starring Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton. While Jane and Lily went on to become living legends, the duo had yet to take on a series together. That is, until Marta Kaufman, the esteemed writer, producer, and co-creator of a little show called Friends, brought the idea of the two of them working together to their attention. The result was Grace and Frankie, a show that delved into the dreams and desires of two older women forced together under unexpected circumstances. Seven years later, and after becoming the longest-running original series in Netflix's history, Grace and Frankie is coming to a close. Today, we're bidding farewell to the show by catching up with the three incredible women who brought it to life, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Marta Kaufman. For all our listeners, we were just talking about the seventh and final season of the show, Grace and Frankie. And I actually, my voice is a little emotional right now. Just being in the room with these women meant, have meant so much to me over the course of my own career and wanting to get into Hollywood and, and being a funny other person as well. It's just, it's amazing to, to sit here with you and also to talk about this incredible show. So let's just give some facts for all the listeners, okay? It is the, like, first of all, a giant success for Netflix. It is the biggest comedy. You have the longest running original series on Netflix with 94 episodes. And in case anybody forgot, Pete Davidson, the it boy of SNL and, you know, who is he dating next? Who knows? Uh, But he did that send up, that rap about how much he loved Grace and Frankie, which is just such a triumph to be able to do that uh, with this show, to hit that zeitgeist. I don't know if you remember that, but that was huge. How could we forget? That was a huge Huge. seminal moment to have this show supposedly about, you know, maturing and, you know, these, obviously the actors. But why do you think the show has been so successful? And especially how I define success is you have penetrated the the audiences across all demographics. And that's really, really hard to do. I think it's a few things. I think a lot of people started watching it with their mothers and realized they enjoyed it. I think that's one thing. I've heard a lot of young women say how grateful they were to see what it might be like for them in the future in terms of even things like dry vaginas, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think the most important piece of it is it's an aspirational show. It's a show about you can do anything at any point in your life. And you know, I think that is something that we all want to identify with. I think the show is, at its core, very warm and welcoming, and you want to know these people and be part of their lives. But I really do think it's the aspirational piece of it that, you know, the idea that you can start your life over at any point, that doesn't mean only when you turn 75. It also means when you leave college, you're starting your life over. It means 
you know, when you get married, when you get a divorce, when you have a baby, it all it's all about starting again. I mean, what we know from the from the audience talking to us is that, you know, they saw it as a it's an, it's a chance at, an, at continuing life. It's not life's not over at a certain age. Uh, being an older woman is not uh, what the society would have us think it is. That women are that women are, should not be marginalized. They they're totally active, totally full, fully human beings, and that was gratifying to an audience of young people and older people. And it's just and. I, I, it was just amazing to us that people so responded to the show. Mm-hmm. I've had a number of women, and Lily has too, who've come up to me and said that, you know, for example, one woman's sister, actually her husband did sit, come out as gay and leave her, and the sister was suicidal. And so she started, she advised her sister to start watching Grace and Frankie, and it saved her life. And the other day, a woman came up to us and said that it saved her life. So it had a lot of hope. You know, these two women who went through a trauma that is, it's just hard to understand. After 40 years of marriage to a man, to suddenly be told that he's gay and he's going to marry his partner, the partner <laughs> who's married to the other woman. You know, it's like having the rug of your whole identity pulled out from under you. Who am I? Who was I? How could I have not understood and seen? And the fact that we not only survived these two women who really didn't like each other becoming friends and then thriving, I think, brought hope to a lot of older women. And then I think the grandkids like to watch it with their grandparents because they see another side of old life for a woman, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, they still get it on. Yeah. They still have fun. And, yeah. Oh, I'm just thinking one of the funniest lines is when you're show- <laughs> this struck me with the millennials, you're selling the vibrators and you're like, oh, look, it's true. Millennials love to stand in line because of the, oh, <laughs> it's so true. I laughed out loud. I was like, that line is stuck with me about, I don't understand. Like they all yeah, line up for brunch and they line up. Yeah, you're at that school. <laughs> it really hits, the jokes hit all the generations, which is which is really, really fun. And the um, and the kids aren't perfect either, which I love because you your characters aren't perfect. Your grown children aren't perfect. They have their own mess of life. Lives and it's yeah. just it's just a joy to watch. So we have to talk about the seventh season. What was it like knowing that this was going to be the last time you were going to shoot that? And can you kind of take us through that last day on set? I was directing the last episode. So it was great because I got to be inside the whole thing. As you're doing the last episode, there's this feeling of um, this constant feeling of, oh, my God, it's the last time we're going to use that set. And you sort of want to slow down time a little bit. And then when the, the last shot we did was with Jane and Lily, just the two of them, which felt perfect to end with just the two of them. And it was um, beautiful and bittersweet, so bittersweet and incredibly sad. I mean, you know, we had this functional family We had a functional family, a very happy crew and group of writers and cast, and we all got along really well and we loved working together. And, you know, all you can think as you're doing the last few shots is I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this so much. 
was very bittersweet and we a lot of crying a lot of kissing hugging and in spite of covid but we were all masked partly and it was it was it was hard it was very hard to give it up it was a combination of hard because we had really gotten close as you do after 7 years uh close to the crew and the other cast members and and so leaving that close knit family was hard but also just the comfort of going to work every day knowing you have a job showing <laughs> up that that's a tremendous comfort and so that that was hard too mm. the security of a regular job it's incredible because yeah, it it's like through covid i mean we forget all the disruption we've had in our lives the last couple of years um, yeah but- it took us uh over a year and a half to shoot 16 episodes <laughs> two years. It was two years. That's got to be hard to keep up that energy, right? And that motivation. It took us a year and a half to shoot episode five because <laughs> we shut down in the middle of shooting it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and just to tell you a little inside story. We come back. We're shooting with cast we used before. And none of us realized that one of the guest cast now had a beard. So... In the stuff we shot before the pandemic, he didn't have one. <laughs> we had to use special effects to get rid of his beard. <laughs> That's how long it had been. I was like castaway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All right. Well, all that cast, you think about it, you really do become a family. I mean, you, you see each other yeah. and all that downtime. No one quite gets that on the set. There's so much that happens between action and cut uh, on a set where you really get to know people. And obviously, you have known each other forever. What is something that you learned from each other during this process? Uh, well, I learned from jo- Jane that um, you just you get yourself together and you just do it no matter how you feel or what you're thinking or... Uh, and I got a lot of I got a lot of courage and spillover from her all her activities. But I've known that for years. I've I've gotten that from her. I once presented an award to her, and I said, uh, you know, uh, Jane has a life, ex- an examined life, and uh, I've not examined mine, so I've just piggybacked with hers. <laughs> <laughs> I figured she already had hers figured out, so I just take the ride with her. And Lily is extremely present in the moment. Um, and that's just, it's wonderful to work with somebody who is present. Um, and um, she never phones it in. She, <laughs> she really cares. I mean, whether it's a physical thing that she has to do and uh, or whatever, you know, she really... She works deep and hard, and so it's a, it's a wonderful inspiration to be working alongside that. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's just fun. You know, I love Jane. I, I so admire her, and and uh, just to have her as a great, you know, cast member and colleague and pal, and it means a lot. Marta Kaufman, when we last spoke, you talked about having this idea, you know, and, and thinking of casting them and all that. We talked a little bit about the origin of, of coming um, 
coming up and delivering basically Grace and Frankie. So I'd love for you to talk about kind of like, what have you learned in the last seven years working with Jane and Lily and writing for them and being part of of this success, this giant success for Netflix? What, what has it been for you personally? Honestly, it's been an incredibly fulfilling experience. Um, you know, I, I, and maybe this is getting a little too personal, but, you know, after Friends, you wonder, can I do anything else? Is there another show in me that, that will have any impact whatsoever? So, I mean, honestly, it was, it was uh, on the one hand, an incredible learning experience for me as a writer and a showrunner separate from David Crane. So that was a big thing. But I also have to say working with Jane and Lily changed my life. They are so good at what they do. They are such incredible professionals and their thoughts are so observant and have always helped the scripts. I mean, part of it, it it all comes from, I am in character now and this doesn't make sense. I will never forget when we shot the pilot, we were in a grocery store and the Say Grace products were out and she called me over and she said, they're too expensive. And she was right. And we changed the amounts. I hadn't even looked at that. So I, I learned so many lessons about how to think about writing from a character's perspective, you know, and just learning how to write for these characters was a whole new experience. It's an incredible collaborative relationship and a friendship and to have it in a business that we know is notoriously challenging. And obviously, uh, I would say, especially for women, it is just a testament to that creative energy. What people don't know is eight days after Grace and Frankie wrapped, we started a movie together. And we're going to see it screen today. And then we started another film together. We just finished our first week called 80 for Brady. Yeah. And I should Moreno uh, and Sally Field and Tom Brady. Yeah. For for our listeners, I'm just going to repeat that again. Tom Brady. That's right. That's a very funny premise for a script. I love it. I'm already in. Uh, Sally Field in, Rita Moreno, you two. I'm there. And this one is moving on, right? So that's you, you, you meet at a, at at a, a funeral, a, right? For a third uh, companion that we've gone to college with. And we're old college mates. And 40 years we haven't seen each other. And all that's renewed and, re- and stumbled through and live through and we come out on the other end. And it's, you know, it's an interesting process because we had to be very careful that we were very different from Grace and Frankie. And mm-hmm. we were. We, we succeeded in that, I think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like this will be our, our third movie together, right? We've done 9 to 5, moving on, and 80 for Brady. Right. Plus Grace and Frankie. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Are you at all surprised by the longevity of 9 to 5? And, and oh, just, I mean, I'm floored by it. And when we came out at the Emmys, the three of us, a couple of years ago, you know, we were just like the highlight of the evening. They were so excited to see us all together again. Uh, it, it's just and it's constantly referred to and a touchstone for so many 
people and, and everything in it is still relevant. Absolutely. And the, the clothes, my friends and I would always, you know, recite some of the lines of, you know, I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen. And once you, you know, we would always have these little dialogues. And, and the first one of my favorite great. lines is her, is her line. I killed the boss. You don't think they're going to fire me for that? <laughs> uh, and Dolly, that was her first movie. Oh, and, so uh, great. And Jane had the courage to cast her and me, cast Dolly and me. And she just kept after us and... Took me a year to persuade them. Oh, well, that's what we love about you, Jane Fonda. You don't give up. No, she doesn't. <laughs> when, when I do, you don't know about it, so <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Dolly, and this is uh, a spoiler alert, but uh, let's talk about that last episode. Marta, I don't know if you remember this, but you did say in the last time I interviewed you that you're, when I, when I asked, very wisely, I might add, I'm, I'm going to give myself some credit here, <laughs> who would be your dream guest star? You said Dolly Parton. And lo and behold, there was Dolly Parton. Well, hi, girls. Oh, God. You look exactly how I knew you would. No, no, I'm not the Almighty. Hardly. I'm Agnes, just a working-class angel. <laughs> of course, I haven't had a promotion in 250 years, but the benefits are heaven. I just need to check your files, and I'll have you girls in your new homes in a blink. I know, right? And the perfect right? use of Dolly Parton. And I had kind all the of... Times she, all the times she was too busy, it was for a reason. Uh, and you have had so many incredible guest stars through these seven seasons. And it is... I was just marveling at, you know, from the boyfriends to the, you know, just the regular co-stars that that pepper through the series. It just was a pure delight. And and I have to say, I I agree with you. And it is the sign of a really good casting director. It was fantastic meeting Dolly. It was one of the great moments of my life. She's so tiny. I don't know where her organs go. She wears four inch heels all the time. <laughs> and, you know, besides getting the opportunity to direct her, my favorite moment was at the very end, we wanted to take a picture. And she said to me, come here, you old hippie. <laughs> it might be one of the high points of my life. Jane and Lily, I was saying to you, both earlier to have that chair turn around and it be dolly and you think what is happening and then (laughs) the way it all pans out is just incredible but what you say to each other was just so moving and i'm wondering i don't know when you did a bunch of takes for that but was the crew as moved as i was sitting on my couch watching that i don't know but i was moved i was very very i was very moved and I feel like I've already died. I know what it's like, and it was not so bad, and so I'm not afraid. Yeah. You know, it was a wonderful thing to do. It really was. And there was that wonderful pamphlet, something like, uh, you know, well, you're dead. So you've died. Now what? Yeah. (laughs) You can have anything and with cheese or whatever. You can eat anything you want and also with cheese. But it, it, it is about, I feel like, the... 
the relationships we have with our friends and how important that is and how those relationships evolve and what you've been through. Like you said, you saved, you know, some women's lives just by watching this and, and open people's minds and to have Dolly participate. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't probably hard to get her. We've Sweet. tried since the very beginning to, to, to get her to come, but it kind of is great that it's it was great for that the she last. Was the last one. Yeah. Well, this season, I have a theme for the podcast, and it's ambition. And I'm asking everybody, what is their relationship with ambition these days? You know, it's interesting, and I'm not sure what the technical difference is um, between ambition and drive. I want to be good. I am driven to be as good as I can be. I never had an ambition to be you know, I don't know, a famous person or a rich person. Those, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking about that. I wanted to tell stories that people wanted to listen to. And that was a drive. That was a drive. And I have to say, you know, during the pandemic, I definitely felt a lack of that drive. It sort of just sucked all my energy out of me. But um, now getting now that it's sort of waning, I'm back on it. Well, I think I think that I'm like uh, half of me is like pulling away from everything, wanting to just I think, what have I done for 50 years? I've just I, I it's all just a melange of vague memories and little moments and things. You know, I often I used to keep a photograph by my desk that was of a, a of a hammock next to a creek and I would so I think oh if I sh- I should have done that for a while I should have known what that is but I I don't really know if I will I think I'll probably keep scuffling for a job <laughs> and trying and trying to create something else I don't know about Miss Fonda I don't think I've she'll done ever the hammock give up in the creek you what? I've done that. Yeah, and you it's did, very it good. So, no, it's it good? very good. It's very good, especially um, at the end of life. Yeah. <laughs> no, you should. You should do it. it. You know, the problem is it's hard to find uh, a place with a creek and a hammock that won't isn't fire um, endangered, and where the creek won't flood, right, or dry up, <laughs> or dry up. Yeah. So you better better do it fast. Maybe I have a set built. Won't be the same. And you should do it in the Smoky Mountains. Okay. When I was a young actor, I think I was 21 years old, and I was auditioning for Elia Kazan, for a, who was the number one director in the United States at the time. He, everybody wanted to work with him. He was casting Splendor in the Grass. And... Um, and I, I was in a theater, and I auditioned. I did a scene, and he beckoned me down to the footlights. And he looked up at me, and he said, Are you ambitious? And I said, No. <laughs> and the minute the word came out of my mouth, I knew that I wouldn't get the job. And I looked back on it and realized good girls aren't ambitious. I was a good girl for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have become very ambitious, I am happy to say. 
and my ambition is to do everything I humanly am able to do to wake people up to the climate crisis and get them to do something about it because we have so little time. So I, I, I am nurturing my ambition, and I'm glad I have it because I didn't used to admit it, and it's a good thing to have. Right, that's Fire Drill Fridays for those listeners. Uh, and the Jane Fonda Climate Pack, which I just launched last week. And because she has those ambitions, I probably will never get that hammock. Yeah. <laughs> because I'll <laughs> be, be like saying, well, wait, what about me? I have to go with you. Well, you'll come. You'll get off your hammock from time to time. I'll yeah. buy you a hammock. I know the good hammocks. <laughs> I yeah. get hammocks. You have ha- hammocks, yeah. Yeah. You can I've had a, I used them. to have them strung up outside my house in Hollywood. You know, from post to post. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, as a woman, I owe you the debt of gratitude for the, first of all, just the integrity in which you've held your incredible careers and also how much you've fought for so many things that involve the female sex. And my last question is, do you think that we would have been further along than we are now? Or, you know, how do you think we're doing <laughs> in terms of our progress on that front? I would have definitely thought we'd be further along. I mean, we've known about so many things for so long, and uh, just nothing. No, there's been so little movement. Oh God, yeah, we've gone backwards. We've gone backwards. There's there's been the, the Earth spun on its axis, and something happened, and everything changed, and suddenly we're fighting for democracy. For democracy, it's one thing to argue about choice. It's a whole other thing to argue about democracy. I mean, people have strong opinions about choice. I'm not saying I agree with people who are anti-choice by any means. But democracy, the thing that the country is based on, is at risk. We've gone so far backwards, you know, and, and there are people who put themselves out there in all kinds of ways to try to make the world better. Um, But right now, I think this may be the second scariest time of my life. The first was when we had to go into shelters when we were in grade school. Right. The the bomb shelter drills. Bomb shelter drills. Yeah. Do you feel like it's have you seen a change in our industry from when you first started when in the 90s coming out here selling shows and you to know, now to doing it? Yes and no. I mean, I think there are more for example, women showrunners, more women directors, more women DPs, not enough. So, but but there are more women who are in positions where they could hire more women or people of color or, you know, LGBTQ plus. Um, you know, I think there, there's been a reckoning in the business, particularly relating to people of color. My hope is that that really is a step forward and not, you know, 
that, that we really learn from this reckoning and do something to change it. And I think this is an opportunity and people are, they're certainly giving voice to it. I don't know really what's, what they're doing about it. Um, but at least we're talking about it and, and starting to get people to think about it. You know, I, I, I think it's still tough to get movies that are about women who aren't superheroes. I think that's, it's just still hard to do. I'm not surprised at all that we are still fighting a fight for quality, for the right to have control over our bodies, our space, our humanity, because it's about power and power is not given up easily. And so I, I know that, that I won't be around when the time comes, if it comes, if we still have a planet long enough to, to have the fight be over, meaning that, um, not that there's a matriarchy, but that there is true democracy. Because as long as there's patriarchy, there cannot be democracy. So I, it, it doesn't surprise me that we're still fighting for it. And the closer we get to it, the more the opposition is going to fight. It's like a wounded beast. There's nothing more dangerous than a wounded beast. And what we see now in Brazil and in Hungary and in Poland and in Russia, wounded beast, they're fighting. And, you know, like Ukraine, there's a resistance. And so they'll fight harder, but hopefully we will win in time. The in time is what gets me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing to feel like we we're make running little, out of time. Yeah, we make little tits and starts and the pendulum swings and now the pendulum has swung completely in the other direction. You look at what's happening and just shocking to hey, me. You cannot believe how the people who seem to be so misguided can behave in such arrogant, full out ways and no one stops them or even voices anything mm-hmm. about it. So little, little voice, little timid voice. Well, that's why what you do is so important, because I feel like the artist's voice is so loud and it's amplified and something that even with women on Netflix, when all of these people see this on phones, on TVs, on laptops, it is kind of incredible, the work of the artist. And I have to say, that's why I kind of love working at Netflix is seeing that change. Congratulations on such a great series. The series feels like evergreen. It's going to have a whole other life. It's going to be like Friends. It's just going to keep going. That would be nice. Yeah. You can pop in any time and you understand what's going on it's one of the best opening credits ever done <laughs> in the history of uh, episodic television, I have to it's say. Smarter. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very smart. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. And congratulations, seriously, on such an awesome run. Thank you so much, Krista. I really appreciate it. And thank you for your thoughtful questions. The final episodes of Grace and Frankie are streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 